0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. <laughs> his partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas?
0: Catch and Shoot is back for another week. It is myself, Aaron Berlin, along with my guy, Otto Strong. Otto, how was your week? Did you enjoy your Super Bowl Sunday?
1: Uh, I enjoyed Super Bowl Sunday, but something tells me not as much as you did.
0: (laughs) I'll I'll tell you what, man. Uh, You know, we spoke about kind of the emotions that I had during the AFC Championship game and what that game meant to me. Nothing was like the roller coaster ride of being down 10 in the fourth quarter. The Chiefs were along long third and 15 and seeing Patrick Mahomes fling that ball 44 yards to Tyreek Hill, man. That really felt like it turned the game. And This is, you know, kind of a span of my life that I never thought that I would see. Chiefs as Super Bowl champions. And, you know, I kind of lived it up. I enjoyed it. I cracked open a beer on Sunday night to enjoy it. And then Mahomes was actually at Disney yesterday doing the whole MVP parade. So I made sure that since I couldn't go to Kansas City for that parade, that I went and saw it in person. And, you know, if people who follow teams for a long time, if your team has not ever won a championship during your lifetime, one thing I will say to you guys Watch it with people that matter to you. Don't watch it with someone that maybe you just met or go to a party. Really enjoy it. Let it sink in and and remember those moments. You know, I wish I had done that in 2015 when the Royals won their championship. And I made sure that I did it this time with the Chiefs playing in the Super Bowl.
1: Hey, did you know, uh, and you might have, but uh, before that 44-yard pass, do you know what the Chiefs win probability was?
0: Oh, it had to be probably at about less than 10%, right? With the way 4%. that the Niners were It was at 4%. It was that 4%. bad? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So so here's a quick nugget on this. And one thing, you know, Andy Reid had been kind of just patronized his entire career for how he handled the clock and managed his offense in late game situations. And, you know, I think part of the problem is, is now Kyle Shanahan's going to have that same kind of burden put on his shoulders. But how much of that do you think is just based on the quarterback play? You know, Andy Reid never had a quarterback the level of Patrick Mahomes in his career with the Eagles and then with Alex Smith. And I think Kyle Shanahan is dealing with some of those same things now.
1: Um, yes, but but uh, I think in, that, in those moments, I mean, he got dinged for 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 the loss against, against the Patriots. He got dinged this time as well. You got to stay aggressive. It's a 60-minute game. It's not, you know, play to get a 10-point lead or play to get a whatever 25-point lead, whatever whatever it was play to win the game they they
0: lost and Andy Reid was the much aggressive play caller in that game and I thought it should okay Otto now you know what that means now that the NFL season is officially over it's all NBA from here isn't it
1: oh it is and there's there is no shortage of content to uh to get to so
0: I, I was gonna say for people who don't know we record this podcast on a Tuesday so it was recently announced that the Knicks parted ways With Steve Mills Mills had been there since 2013 you know he was the team president Scott Perry is assumed to take over the general manager role and stay in that role uh you know Otto you were in that market for a long time you grew up a Knicks fan you followed this team for a long time this is the second big move that they've made in season like this with their front office personnel and it's not sending the right signs
1: no, they they' they've got problems at at, at, the, at the highest level I mean you know uh, just as as a as a fan as someone who watches and and wants to see the team do well um, you know they, they just need you need, just need a massive overhaul. I mean they need to come in with a guy who can clearly identify you know what what is going to be the strategy the philosophy of this team um, as people will see or hear if they haven't already uh, Masayu jury is uh, the Raptors, um, you know, uh, GM is, is, is a guy who's rumored to, to uh, that the Knicks want for that job. Well, guess what? Everybody wants Messiah chair for that, for for their, for their, for that, for that position. Um, He's under contract for two more years. He just uh, said no uh, to a, to a $10 million a year uh, deal from, from the Wizards that included uh, ownership stake. So, I think we can effectively move him off the table. Um, but clearly what they're going to have to do is something that they've not been very good at is trying to find that executive who's going to both kind of manage both, you know, the, the squad as, as well as managing up to, to Dolan.
0: So so let's start off with this, you know, and I think a lot of this is kind of relatable and it's a different sport, but to what's going on with the Cleveland Browns, right? Like that is a team that just completely gutted their front office. They hired a new head coach, they hired a new general manager. And, you know, part of the problems that stem with the Browns, I think are equatable to some of the issues that we see with the Knicks. And it all starts with the ownership group, right? And then it kind of has a trickle down effect. And for whatever the reason, James Dolan has struggled with these kind of hires. You know, he brought in Scott Perry, I believe, in 2017 to kind of be the player personnel guy. And a lot of those moves have not worked out as well. And so if you're looking at one thing that needs to be a central issue is I don't know how you do it and I don't know how you get an owner to step away and let the basketball people make the decisions. But that has to fall on James Dolan kind of changing his philosophy first, right?
1: Oh. absolutely he's you know he has has to has to kind of agree to to uh, you know lighten up lighten up there but but the i think one of the big problems and i've seen this you know up close and personal everybody we have to get away from this notion that people you know, oh you just want to come to new york well who who doesn't want to come to new york well yeah, I think lots of people would want to come to New York. They don't want to uh, perhaps associate themselves with who is in New York, namely, you know, the guy who owns the club. So, uh, you know, we've gone from, you know, in the 70s and 80s and 90s, yes, you know, Madison Avenue, the bright lights, all that stuff. Um, the, the way the world is, it's just different now. You don't need to be in New York to be a megastar. You know, look around the league, read the room. I mean, look what Damien Lillard was doing. Look what Westbrook did in, in OKC before moving on. There's so many guys. Um, so, you know, just the way that th- my, my take on it is that they're going to have to find, you know, an identity, someone who can, who can find an identity for this team. Personally, i have always been a guy who loved defense and loved scrappy play. So, you know, let's, let's find somebody who's going to, you know, d- do those things, uh, those types of things, and then build a team around that probably through the draft. I know it's not going to snow. No one wants to hear that. A lot of, a lot of people in New York want you know immediate results or quick returns, but it, it They've gone down the, the the free agency road. How many names do we have to throw up on the wall here? LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, just to name a few. Got to got to start over.
0: Yeah, it's a club that since two thousand thirteen is one hundred and seventy eight and three sixty five, which is the worst in the NBA. And that's unfathomable unfathomable to think about that that the Knicks would reside in that role. But that's where they've been, and part of it has been they haven't been lucky in the draft. The moves that they have made when they have been at the top of of the lottery, like Frank Nikolina, just haven't worked out. And there are other times where they've slid back in the draft and they've missed on that transitional star. Another issue I think is huge and is a big factor, and we spoke about this in an earlier pod, is... You have to get New York players wanting to play for the Knicks again. You know, part of it before was that they were New York's only team. The Nets played in Jersey and nobody wanted to play in Jersey anymore. Well, now there's real competition. And we saw that last summer with not only Kevin Durant, but also Kyrie Irving picking the Nets over the Knicks. Uh, So that's the next question, Otto, from someone who grew up in that area and covered that team and was around that team for a long time. How do you get New York guys to want to pick the Knicks over the Nets?
1: Oh well, you know, I, I think it, part of it starts with being being cool. I mean, for for you know, in the '90s, it was cool to be you know going to games at MSG, um, you know, the style of play. Uh, but yeah, it, it 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 has turned, um, and it has turned hard. And and Kevin Durant is not even on the floor. I can't even imagine what it's going to be like next season. Uh, when the net when the nets were at full strength, um, you know it, it's going to be the complete opposite of what it was when when the when the nets were in Jersey. Uh, that, that's that's what I'm um, that's what I'm looking at. So
0: yeah, speaking of cool guys, and you mentioned the nets, uh, there was footage of Kevin Durant actually sprinting across the floor earlier today that made it that made its way around social. So good to see him back. Good to see him being active, and, and that Nets team is going to be fun next year. Speaking of other guys dame lillard man this is a guy that has not only caught fire but it is a full-on inferno right now against the rest of the nba and it's it's a trailblazers team that has been depleted by injuries when you look at what some of their between zach collins and yusuf nurkic and kind of what the roles that lillard and McCollum have had to assume but the way this guy is carrying a trailblazers team that as of today when we're recording this podcast is two games outside of the ace spot in the Western Conference. It's impressive what he's done in the last week.
1: I I, I don't really recall someone. I mean, the the scoring obviously the scoring has been been amazing, but the but the types of shots that he's been putting up. I mean, you know, kind of launching from others' zip codes. And, well, and he's from, he's
0: taken he's taken the oh no shot last year that we saw in the playoffs, yeah. and he's made that irregularly, and he's unleashed it against the rest of the NBA.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think he, I think the, the stat I saw that was most interesting, he's 57% on shots beyond 30 feet I, in, in, in in this stretch, obviously. But don't th-
0: think of how hard it makes him to guard. Not only if you're a defender and with how many pick and rolls the Trailblazers run on a day-to-day basis and how fast Lillard is, that if he's going to bring a center out and make you screen around him, it makes him so difficult to catch up with that – you're basically defenseless against him.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the, as you mentioned, the team is is you know on the outside looking in, but you know they have had a, a nice little string of, of victories against teams all all playoff bound teams. Um, and, you know, and his in his scoring and what he can do offensively is is you know, has a, has a lot to has a lot to do with that. You know, they've got another couple of games coming up against some some other playoff you know, teams or or teams that are likely to go to the playoffs, but. Um, I just can't say enough about what he's been able to do and how he's been able to do it. It's just amazing.
0: Yeah, you mentioned those playoff teams. He beat the Jazz, he beat the Lakers, and they beat the Rockets all last week. All three of those teams are playoff teams. They'll play the Nuggets on Tuesday night, uh, so there will be a result when this podcast drops on Wednesday. But but it's impressive kind of how in sync he is with McCollum and you look at how those two guys dance together and so many people will make the comparison to Steph Curry I don't think that's fair to what Damian Lillard does you know Damian Lillard rises to the occasion and he hasn't had the collective group of all-stars around him like Steph Curry did when those Warriors teams were so good and just blowing out the rest of the league I think it's a disservice to what Dame is doing right now to make those comparisons granted Curry is still the best shooter of our time, but what he is doing this year is so great.
1: Mm. Well, let me let's throw another name at you. Do you think he's better than Harden? That's
0: that that that's a good <laughs> that's a good one, and and I think he is because I think his teammates respect him more, you know, not that Harden's teammates don't, but I think Lillard understands how he can make other players better. And, you know, if he's going off for 40 on a night, he has no problem finding McCollum or finding someone else on that roster to help them get a bucket in a moment where I almost feel like sometimes Harden gets a little too shot happy and also doesn't play as strong on the defensive side. So I would say that he's better than Harden. What about you? Well,
1: well, the, well, the thing that that um, that I like about him is that like, you know, yes, he'll put up shots, but as you know, once the shot goes up, you know, he's a, he's he's moving around. I mean, he's not just he's not just a guy who's con, who's content with launching and then and then you know, I'm obviously you know, running back, of course, but but um, I, I think he's either first or second or third in distance traveled on offense. So which well, you know which which indicates. Because he's obviously on the on these thirty footers, he's not moving, doing a whole lot of moving. So it in- indicates to me, on other plays, he's you know he he's obviously um, uh, you know trying to draw draw defenders um, and create opportunities for other for others. And if you watch him just moving around the court, I mean, like I got tired. I needed to sit down after watching him on some of these on some of these offensive sets. Uh, so so to that stand, I mean, he he definitely in my mind separates himself from, from Harden in that in that way because you know, James, I'm nothing against him, but James, you know, Hey, I, 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 I put up my shot. I've done my work <laughs> and, and and Lillard's, you know, kind of, kind of, you know, still, still motor around
0: there. You, you know, the distance traveled is an interesting th- stat to throw out out him because the last three years, and I think you can check me on this, but both him and McCollum have ranked in the top five in the association as far as distance traveled. And it proves how much the trailblazers have relied on him and how much they've leaned on him. And, it is a shame to me that every year we have these conversations about the Blazers just getting into the playoffs, you know, and it seems like every year they kind of go on a little bit of a run towards the end of the year. And right now they're on the outside and looking in, I think they get in, but it's Ooh. a shame that we don't get to see that Blazers team more. Well, I mean, yeah, I
1: mean, it, 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 we would like to to see them do better, and obviously, you know, the injuries. Uh, you know, Rodney Hood is another, you know, the, another key component. Uh, you know, who's down? Who's out with an injury? But this is a Blazers team that did go to the Western Conference Finals last year. It's not as it's though true. you know they were just. You know, we 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 tend to have uh, all of us tend to have short memories with with that kind of thing. It's on to the next. But um, you know, they they definitely. Um, you know, when healthy, you know, could could run with anyone. And so you kind of wonder, um, you know, when guys return, you know, are they and you did mention, yes, they are a stronger second half team than the first half team. Uh, at least they at least they have been over the last couple of seasons. So, you know, will the stars align for them to make another kind of run? Um, and, you know, who knows? I mean, they, they could obviously they could run with anybody um in the western conference uh or at least Lillard can <laughs> so you you just wonder what you know it's it's gonna be exciting for them
0: tell you what you got Lillard and McCollum that's a good one to punch but these are the guys that they're missing and we'll close it on yet this Yusuf Nurkic who's been out since last March Zach Collins Rodney Hood who you mentioned and Skyla that's a lot of rotation pieces, and that's a lot of scoring for them that's also sideline right now.
1: It's time once again for that catch-and-shoot 2.0 favorite, Old School, New School. Okay, next we're going to talk about Andre Iguodala and the Memphis Grizzlies and the mess that has been uh, going on there for the last little bit. So basically, Iguodala has not played with the Grizzlies, and some of his teammates, younger teammates, are uh, none too happy about it. Um, and uh, lately, you know, recently, Dylan Brooks, a uh, younger member of the squad, has basically talked about uh, the fact that uh, Iguodala has not played and they are looking for him to, uh, to be gone, and they have done so very publicly.
0: Oh, it's been very public, Otto, and it's been great. I- I'm going to read you the quote, and then I'm interested to see what your reaction is because I have thoughts on this, and I'm all about – the, the Grizzlies and kind of the persona that they're building and the personalities that their young players are playing. Uh, but Brooks goes, quote, a guy that's on our team doesn't want to be on our team. I can't wait until we find a way to trade him so that we can play him and I can show him what Memphis is really about. End quote. That was Dylan Brooks post game the other day. And then, you know, his two other teammates, John Morant and De- Anthony Melton, both chimed in on social retweeting it and putting emojis with it. And and to me, Otto, this is what young players are about in the NBA. They're not, they're not scared to show their personality. They're not afraid to say things against kind of the older guard. And, you know, for Brooks and Morant and Melton, these are guys that are busting their rears every single day for this Grizzlies team, who is a surprising 25 and 25. They're in the NBA playoffs at the season ended today And they have a guy who has been with the club all year, hasn't played with the club all year since they acquired him in the summer and kind of just uh, a salary dump from the Warriors in order to kind of facilitate the D'Angelo Russell trade. But they're doing this on their own and they're saying that they don't need him. And if he wants to be with another team, get rid of him. We don't want him here. And I love that about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, look, I get it. You know, at the same time, you know, we're talking about somebody who is likely a Hall of Famer. I mean, Jay Crowder, uh, you know, another member of the team. Um, is he
0: really a Hall of Famer, though? I, I mean, because if you look at the career numbers, they don't jump out at you. Yeah, he's got three championships with the Warriors, but is he really a Hall of Famer?
1: Well, let's let, let's 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 say this. He's definitely you know elder statesman of the league. Who has probably earned his right? You know, this is a business. He's earned his right to make you know, to make a decision about about such things. Now, you know, could he have done it a little bit differently? Uh, you know, he's, he's a Finals MVP. He's you know three rings, as you mentioned. I, mean, I, I think that deserves a certain amount of respect. And some of these things probably could have been uh, you know handled better in house than than you know by than airing airing in public. But at the same time. I do kind of like the fact that you know that guys are kind of showing their their true colors and and uh, you know you know wanting to, you know a little chippy. I mean, this is a squad as you mentioned is is you know an upstart squad, a rising uh, a rising you know bunch of players in the, in the you know uh, in the league and and uh, look, I'm excited for them and I know they're excited for you know what they can do and but at the same time I I I, I don't know I wish that maybe this just would have dial dialed it back just a tad
0: so he, I, i'm going to push back against that because a lot of the narrative around this conversation has been built that if you were somewhere for 15 16 years that you've built equity in, in something right so like if you've gone to your job so if you're the editor at the fort worth star telegram for 15 16 years like you are and then they traded you to say the oklahoma city paper whatever that is or the kansas city star in kansas city and you sat out that next year because of where you are in your job, people wouldn't perceive that the same way, right? So so to me, I guess the problem I have with this is just because you're traded and you're somewhere you don't want to be, that doesn't give you the right to just say that you're not going to play. I, I love that he's been in the league for so long. You know, 16 years is a long run in the NBA, especially in today's game. 16 years anywhere. Is a long run, but you're still under contract. You're still uh, you still have obligations to who your employer is. Just because you don't want to be there doesn't give you that right. Now, if he's come to some kind of an agreement with the Grizzlies, why they try to facilitate something, but that hasn't been the case of this. He sat out this year, um, and so you, you know when you look at what John ja Morant and what De'Anthony Mountain and what Brooks are trying to say is that. They're trying to change the perception of Memphis. You know that Memphis is a place that you want to be. That he that it's a fun place to be. And so I that's why I'm on board with what Brooks is saying about Igadala, because to me it's selfish that Igadala is not playing just because he doesn't perceive Memphis as a worthy death or destination.
1: No, no. I look. I, you're exactly right. And he and look, he is being paid and being paid quite handsomely. Um, you know, it, it's it's. Um, it's tough because on the one hand, I, I totally get what you're saying. I, you know, all I guess I was saying or was trying to say was that you know that it not be you know be, become a become a public beef, um, but at the same time, there is there is um, yeah, it, it is refreshing to see you know guys. Uh, I think some of the knocks on on players is that you know nobody cares. Uh, you know, they, they're just showing up and doing it for the money. And um, but but to to see the the younger members of the Grizzlies, you know, kind of feel a certain way about it and be willing to put their name to it um, publicly is, you know, is, is refreshing in that regard.
0: Now I I do agree that there were different ways to handle this situation. You know, anytime a player talks about another member of a locker room in front of a microphone, I always think that they should follow the Pat Mahomes model, you know, where you don't ever really say anything. You kind of just compliment everybody and you say that we're all in this together and this is one big happy family. But this has been going on since the summertime when he said that he didn't want to play with them and that he didn't want to be a part of that locker room. And then to have them have the season that they are having with the young players, it's been so much fun to watch and that they realize that, you know, they don't need that drama and they're fine just cutting bait with it
1: yeah i mean look i've I've known you know, andre for for a couple of years I mean we we're not we're not fast friends, but I, I i met him a couple of times and spoken a couple of times and it would have been much nicer i think uh if he had embraced that role like like, like you said, you don't want to be there you know right, fine, you don't wanna be there but for the for the length of time that you are there, you're gonna try to lift up the guys uh you know around you um you know prove yourself to the next squad that you're that you're in it and that you're not just, you know, um, you know, look, everyone wants to play for a championship and I get it when you're, you know, 16 years in, you, you, you know, you, you, you know, limited number of seasons, but, um, yeah, so many ways this could have been handled differently. And, and I think one of the key ways it could have been handled differently was by Andre himself going all the way back and, and just kind of accepting a slightly different, um, you know, taking a different tact.
0: Or what about this? What if he would have played with them all year helped them grow with kind of an understanding with Memphis ownership that they would trade him at the deadline. Teams do that all the time, especially with veteran players. They come to some kind of compromise, some kind of an agreement that if you scratch our back, we'll make sure that when we deal you, we will deal you to a contending team. Why was some kind of an agreement not in place when they agreed to kind of facilitate his salary? Because I do think that ownerships and front offices, if they make deals like that, you know, that that gets them kind of a caveat or, you know, a, a special carrot with other players when they're trying to bring in free agents.
1: Yeah, I, I just guess I don't know what um, you know, what the what the specifics were, you know, what the obviously what the conversations were around that. Um it, it's it's um like, Like I say, I've I've known Andre for a little bit and um, some of the things that have gone on, maybe I'm not totally surprised.
0: (laughs) Okay, Otto. Well, what about this? Steph Curry, longtime teammate, won three championships with Andre Iguodala, posted on his Instagram story. And I know how big you are on Instagram these days. A picture of Iguodala with the championship trophy and the hush emoji.
1: Well oh, look, I mean Steph is Steph is the you know ultimate teammate. He's gonna have his guys back no matter no matter what. Um, you know, they played together for, for a few seasons, they you know, we won three championships. And so, you know, that's just that's just the kind of guy that, that Steph is.
0: Yeah, he's a tremendous teammate. And then, you know, the other side of this is John Morant responded with a picture of Kevin Durant with an MVP finals trophy, just kind of doing the shrug uh face. But you know, to me, how I kind of look at this and I relate this is the Grizzlies are building their own family atmosphere. The NBA is all about family, fraternity, backing up your own, supporting your teammates. And the Grizzlies, especially their young core, have noticed that they have a player that is not necessarily cancerous to their locker room, but doesn't want to be a part of their locker room. And if he wants out, then they're okay with him going somewhere else. And they'd rather just cut the drama now and cut the... Otto, I know it's your favorite segment. It's where we take questions on Twitter, you know, with your large following and all the tweets that you put out every single week. I seem to, for some reason, be having to shoulder the load on this one. This one comes courtesy of Andrew Joseph, and he goes, quote, Aaron, what is the best deadline deal that you can remember with the NBA trade deadline this week? Auto, uh, so full disclosure, I do not have the wealth or the years of knowledge that you have. So you can probably go back as far as the 70s and the 80s for what you remember. But what I can specifically remember is really about the last decade. And the one that sticks out to me, there's two. And one of them is kind of fun for me, but this was not the big one. One of the more important ones, I think, from a franchise and a culture standpoint was last year when the Magic acquired... Markel Fultz. Not only was it good for them to get a backup point guard, but also good for them to kind of get him out of that situation that he was in in Philadelphia. So for both the player and the team, I thought that worked out well. But the biggest one that I can remember and the one that probably had the biggest impact on their team was Isaiah Thomas in 2015 going to the Celtics for basically nothing. Otto, And, you know, we don't see deals like that all the time at the deadline, but that was one I thought had a lasting impact for the Celtics. What about you?
1: All right. So we're going to embrace the old school here thing. Uh, I'm going with Rasheed Wallace, 2004. He he went to a Pistons team uh, that ultimately went to the NBA Finals and beat the LA Lakers in five games. I mean, this was, was, uh, I mean, everybody had the, everyone had the Lakers winning that series. I mean, I certainly did. you know, the Pistons were not necessarily a, a great squad at that point. I think they were like 34 and 22, and they went on a huge tear down the, down the stretch, like 20 and 6. And that really is the thing that put them over the top. So um, in the words of Rashid, all don't lie.
0: For the sake of this segment moving forward, I want everybody who listens to this show to tweet at Otto Strong and just say, "Start using your Twitter, man! Start using your Twitter!" Because if you don't have a tweet next week, we're not doing this segment, Otto. We're
1: not doing it. All right, it. all right, all right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna deliver. I will deliver with with the th- with the help of of Catch and Shoot Nation 2.0. We'll, we 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 will get this done. I love it.
0: Bruh. All right, Otto, it's my favorite segment of the week. We speak about this every week, but it's time for our bra. And one of the biggest ones happened the other night. Take a listen to this.
1: Jakob well, Pertl doesn't have his jersey. Jakob Pertl ready to check him without his jersey. Pop's <laughs> having a laugh about it. Oh, my. <laughs> so This bench, back. everybody is like,
0: are you kidding me? <laughs> so that is Jakob Pertl trying to check into a game without his jersey on. And I have two thoughts on this, Otto. One, what in the world is going through Greg Popovich's mind right there in that moment that he has a player on his roster without his jersey on? And two, how does that happen? You have a certain checklist in every NBA game, you know, put your shorts on, put your jersey top on, put your shooting shirt on, and then you go out and you do your warmups. I don't understand how this happened. I think this happened in my middle school game. It wasn't a varsity game. It was like a JV game where a fellow teammate of mine forgot his, but I haven't seen something this silly since Mario Hazonia forgot to tie his shoes before checking into a game the other week.
1: Well, yeah. And so my pro is, so we're going to keep the theme going here. So last year, January, 2019, uh, one, Michael Beasley, when he was with the Lakers, tried to enter the game, so he rips off the sweats, and underneath, he's got, he's got the gold shirt on, but he's got the black uh, practice shorts. Uh, needless to say, he had to go back and and, uh, and and get those gold shorts on, but hey man, it, it I would, so I was on the high school, my high school track team. There was always a guy who like forgot his jersey. And it, it was kind of interesting because you'd you know, line up for the relay and you had to have the same, everyone had to have the same shirt and shorts. And so there would be some odd, um, you know, odd switching of jerseys and, and shorts. The only thing is when you're when you're running high school track, you're out right in the middle of a field. There's no locker room to go back to. So there was once a case where a guy had to drop trowel and give his shorts to somebody else on the track team so the guy could be on the relay race.
0: So there, is a, so there is a clip of Doug Gottlieb that I want you to look up when he's playing in Allen Fieldhouse for Oklahoma State, and he has his shorts on backwards and has to change them in the middle of the team huddle. It's one of my favorite moments for not only kind of a current broadcaster, but also a former player coming into Allen Fieldhouse and just forgetting to put his shorts on, right? How does that happen? Come on, man. Bruh.
1: Well, that does it for this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening for this week. Uh, And thanks to our producers, Bruce Bernstein, Scott Turkin, and our editor, Ben Wolfen.
0: Please check out our other Pure Hoops media shows. As always, Bucket Sports and Blocks with Monica McNutt comes your way on Thursday. She's joined by the Undefeated's Mark Spears this week. The Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman drops each Friday. And as always, you have Mike Weiss and his fantastic show on Monday. Just a reminder, rate, review, give Otto a hard time for not ever checking his Twitter or responding to you guys. But as always, we'll see you next week.
1: Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.